As Earth Keepers, we hold wisdom about our planet within our bodies learned through lifetimes of experience on Earth and throughout the cosmos. I'm Amy Dempster, a shamanic practitioner and your host for the Earth Keepers podcast, and I'm on a journey to reconnect with my soul family, the other Earth Keepers, grid workers, portal tenders, land stewards, and nature lovers around the world. On this podcast, you won't find gurus or dogma, just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to the Earth Keepers podcast. This season, I'm welcoming a series of thought-provoking guests to the show to discuss where exactly humanity is headed and how can we collectively create the future we'd like to see. Over the past few weeks, we've explored ideas around creativity, storytelling, songwriting, and myth to begin to imagine new realities here on Earth. Now, throughout the next few episodes, you'll be meeting people who are creatively working with sound, crystals, light, animals, and sacred geometry to help us remember how our reality here on Earth actually works and and how we can creatively bring some of this ancient future technology into our daily lives. It's my deep hope that these conversations will stir something within you or perhaps Light a spark in your imagination for what you might be able to bring forward from the depths of your imagination into this reality. I think it's going to take all of our ideas, visions, and inspired action to arrive at this unknown future timeline. So my hope is that this season inspires you to bring your own bit of magic into the world to help usher in what's next for us all. Before we get into this week's episode, if you're feeling inspired to go deeper and want to support the work it takes to bring this podcast to life, I'd love to have you join me in the Earth Tenders Academy. The Earth Tenders Academy is my online course and community where you can learn more about the history and energy of the community that you live in, hold space for the healing of humanity and nature, remember more about your specific gifts and role with the earth, and see the true magic held in your everyday environment. I invite you to step into this portal with me and hundreds of other Earth Tenders from around the world. Tap the link in the show notes to learn more about the Earth Tenders Academy and join us in this beautiful community. And now, on with the show. If you would have asked me a decade or more ago if I had any interest in quantum physics, my answer would have been a very firm no. How on earth could my love of nature lead me into the territory of theoretical science? But as I followed the trail of breadcrumbs one after the other, it's a discipline I just keep bumping into again and again. Because as it turns out, much of the internal guidance that I've received over the years continues to be proven and brought to the light, pun intended, by quantum physics. The sun, water, and soil all perfectly connect with our hearts, brains, bodies, and emotions. And when we spend too much time indoors or away from our natural environment, our bodies let us know. This line of inquiry started for me just after the new year in 2020, when I very suddenly received the message to stop wearing sunglasses. No other information or backstory, just a suggestion that I stop wearing sunglasses. 
I listened to the guidance, but it was months later before I heard the actual scientific reason for this request. Because if sunlight isn't able to reach a lens in the back of our eyes, our body cannot actually make vitamin D, along with a host of other benefits we receive from the sun's rays, what my guest today calls an essential nutrient that we all need to be healthy. But not wearing sunglasses was just the tip of the iceberg. The further down the rabbit hole I go with nature and quantum physics, the more my mind is blown. As it turns out, scientists have theorized in recent years just exactly how birds, mammals, and even trees use the quantum field to navigate, find food, and photosynthesize the sun's energy. Birds specifically have a protein in their eyes that gives them a kind of sixth sense to tune into the Earth's magnetic field. These proteins link up with the bird's circadian clock and create a series of chemical signals that interact with weak electromagnetic fields, you know, like the ones that emanate from the Earth, and it allows them to navigate to within five degrees of where they're headed. That's how they can migrate over large distances and arrive back in the same exact areas year after year. Now imagine if they covered their eyes with sunglasses, they would literally be turning off their sixth sense. But I find it curious that all of these senses are triggered on a quantum level and require a mixture of sunlight, proper circadian signaling, and alignment with the energy field of the Earth. And if birds can do it, and mammals can do it, and plants can do it, then it would only make sense that humans would be in conversation with our environment in the exact same way. Why is that? Because... Humans are animals too. We just forgot as our brains developed and we began to create environments that we found more protected and comfortable and now entertaining too. I mean, why would we take cover under a tree in a rainstorm if we could go inside to a warm and dry house? And so we've moved away from our animal instincts bit by bit until we've covered our eyes from the brightness of the sun, and pretended that we weren't animals at all. And now we're paying the price in our health and well-being. Have we completely turned off our sixth quantum sense through our modern culture and technology? As we consider what the ancient future technology should be for optimizing our humanness, I think we have to start at the beginning and consider the technology we're already surrounded by the technology that our human bodies evolved with. The earth, the sun, water, plants, and trees. Modern science might finally be able to explain it all to us, but we don't need to understand quantum physics to know that it feels good when we go outside. And one person who I think stands right at that intersection of these disciplines, quantum biology, nature, and healing, is my guest today, Carrie Bennett. With multiple degrees in biology, nutrition, and bodywork, Carrie's relentless enthusiasm to learn has made her one of the leading educators in the emerging field of quantum biology. She combines deep research and clear explanations of these complex quantum mechanics at play in our human bodies to teach people how to use light, water, and nature to thrive. And Wait until you hear how she confirms another download I had a few years back that I hadn't fully understood until now. I think it'll blow your mind, just like it did mine. And with that, I will leave you with my conversation with Carrie Bennett.
All right. Well, welcome, Carrie, here to the podcast. And we're just going to jump right in today and talk about the quantum field. So can you tell us a little bit, just what is the quantum field? And when you're talking about doing healing work at a quantum level, what does that even mean? Oh, it's a great question, Amy. And you know what? No one has ever led with what is the quantum field. And I I absolutely love that because that is really foundational, I think, for people to understand um, when we also talk about then applying quantum healing strategies. So the quantum field is basically the name of what we would call what what ancient civilizations maybe used to refer to as the ether. Um, And now modern physicists are recognizing, oh, yeah, that actually is a thing. There actually is a field of information all around us that also penetrates us that contains energy and information uh, beyond our wildest imagination. And so basically the quantum quantum field, also been called the zero point field, ether, is a source that the body can use to adapt in real time. Um, you know, and so the way that, and we've got a lot of ways in our bodies that we can do that. But when we talk about quantum then and the quantum scale, we're looking at a scale so, so fine, right? Below, it's like below chemistry that we could ever possibly imagine. We're talking about waves of energy and some of it actually gets so fine. It doesn't even seem like a wave. It seems like this absolute stillness. And so we're talking about a very, very fine scale of energy and information that the body can use. It's so cool to think about. And I think I saw, you know, people listening here are probably familiar with the Akashic field, right? Yes. I think another term that you've used for it, which makes so much sense, right? Like this, this field in this place where all knowledge and information lives that we can energetically tap into and then our bodies are familiar with as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it, right? I think it's a hard thing for people who are not familiar with a concept like the Akashic field or the Akashic record to say, wait a second, how is this empty space all around me? How does that, how does that have anything that I I could, I could ever have that's useful beyond, oh, maybe there's oxygen that I'm breathing in, but it's beautiful when people can come at it from the recognition that this has been known and appreciated for a very long time that all of the information that ever was, and actually, frankly, all the possibilities that ever will be is is stored all around us and inside and it can permeate us. And then we've just got different ways to interact with it. It's so so cool. And I think, you know, it's interesting because science is figuring so much of this out, right? Now that all of these um, many things maybe that seemed weird or squishy or maybe not even real, right? (laughs) It's like, we're getting to the bottom of it. But that being said, when we do that, I think it can feel a little overwhelming because while the science does explain it, it's, it's really complicated and complex sometimes. And when I go, you know, down this path and, and reading and learning more about this, what really becomes clear to me is that the basis of all of it is nature, right? That that's that's the part that we can understand so easily. So can, can you share a little bit about what are the different elements in nature that you think are just so critical for our health and well-being? Absolutely. So this is really where this emerging field of applied quantum biology is setting itself apart. 
Um, because a lot of people, when we look to maybe how, thinking about how the body heals, we think about, you know, from the traditional sense, right? It's like, okay, what pharmaceutical can I take or what surgery can I get? And then you get a little bit more towards the alternative side. And it's like, okay, well, what supplement can I take? What, pro, what you know, cleanse can I do? And when we look at it, the, the way that we look at the, the body and its healing potential, we recognize that we have these built-in ways that we have been designed to interact with nature and that nature provides so much healing energy and information. And I like to highlight uh, specifically, I like to highlight sunlight and it's different. There's so many ways that it varies and changes and it supports us in many, many ways beyond what everyone just thinks of as vitamin that makes vitamin D in the bodies. It goes so far beyond that. I also like to look at the fact that the earth in and of itself is a source of energy that the body can pull into it. We actually recognize now that the earth has free and mobile electrons that emanate from its surface and we are conductive of them. So in the same way that we would like plug something into an outlet to pull electricity into a device, we actually can do the same thing simply by touching the earth with bare skin. So we've got the fact that we can reestablish this electrical potential of the body from earthing. And then you even look at things like sounds of nature. Sound is actually a way that um, the body can also get information, but sound generates infrared and oh, it, it generates light inside of us. And it also can structure the water inside of us to provide both energy and information. So sounds of nature are supremely healing as well. And, you know, if we just kind of go about the fact too, that nature exists in this 24 hour clock, how we have periods of daylight and periods of darkness. Well, guess what? We also need those periods of darkness as, uh, you know, the time for us to regenerate and heal our tissues. So just kind of stepping back into nature. What I love about quantum biology is quantum biology for me, you're right. It provides some, some science, um, you know, but a very interesting way of recognizing how the body actually is built to interact with all of these sources. And that when we step away from nature and when we distance ourselves from, from you know, um, the sunlight and, and the beautiful sounds in nature, that's actually can be a prime driver of disease and chronic illness that we're, I think, seeing skyrocketing these days. These days. So really, when I started to understand the body at the quantum level, I began to recognize how important it was for me to go back out into nature. And it's been, it was profoundly healing for me. And it's been profoundly healing for so many clients. I'm just thrilled to share this information these days because I think it's, it's a missing factor in a lot of people's, you know, healing journey. You're so right. And, and I think it's interesting because our bodies are made to so subtly and gently, as you say, like interact with these fields. It's almost like we're expecting to feel this like jolt of energy when we <laughs> touch a tree or touch the ground. And we don't, but it's just because it's so natural for our bodies and then it's really easy to discount what's happening because you don't immediately feel or notice the shift when you're not in contact with nature. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, what's really interesting way of looking at this too is that I think that there are some beautiful healing practices, right? That go out kind of outside of the quantum biology realm, acupuncture for example, or um uh, the, the different practices that you'll find in Ayurvedic medicine or traditional Chinese medicine. But those practices were developed when being a part of nature was our default mode, right? Like we didn't have to rem remind people, go outside, get the natural light, touch the earth with bare skin, you know, drink, drink um, sp like spring mineral water, like this mineral rich water. So 
Um, yeah, you're right. I think that we we want those modalities to kind of, that kind of are like, oh yeah, I feel great instantaneously. There is something about having that instant grat- instant gratification that we have these days. But also, you know, I think what we're teaching the body with this is just go back to that's that's default mode for us. We got to go back into that, and then the body has all of these built-in programs where it can say, oh, okay you know, uh, Carrie's body needs this and she needs a little bit more energy production here. And, oh, we need to heal and regenerate these tissues. When we go back into that default mode, our body actually understands what it needs on a better way, on a better level. And that can either reverse disease processes or it could just help maintain health. We're, you know, I, I, so I I think it's really profound to recognize that this is just, yeah, we're not necessarily going to go out there and all of a sudden be like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm a new person, but over the course of time, it just brings us back into homeostasis. And I have, however, had clients after three days have such profound shifts by putting their body back into the natural rhythms of nature that those stories are fun because that's where it's just like, wait a second, after three days on someone's long-term chronic illness journey, it's like, yes, because when you put the body back into its natural environment, body knows what to do. Disease is not the body trying to hurt itself. Disease is the body trying to figure out and adapt based on the inputs we're giving it. And likely we're giving it some faulty inputs. And we have to just go back to the inputs that it can really get energy and information from. And then all of a sudden healing can take place. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I try and remember, you know, we have at our disposal so many um, tools and gadgets and, you know, things now, which are great, right? We have technology that's helped us. But sometimes I try to just call myself and my mind back to like, what were my ancestors doing, right? Like they weren't watching TV before bed. They didn't have a TV, right? They And, you know, they were using firelight in the wintertime instead of, you know, incandescent light or LED lights. So I'm just thinking about going back. We don't even have to go back that many generations, right? A hundred years ago, a lot of rural areas, especially didn't even have electricity. So, you know, what were some of the things that, or what are some of the things that you think are important as far as more seasonal and cyclic living when it comes to connecting with nature in that way? It's a great question, a great place to really start people kind of understanding the practical application of this. And that's this idea that I think we've underestimated how much we rely on light cueing and the light in our environment as information and cues to the body for the body to release certain hormones, for example, or certain neurotransmitters. And so I like for people to kind of become, start to become aware of what is your light environment like? How close to a natural light environment do you have? These days, 99% of us have a very unnatural light environment because we can, like you said, flip on artificial light as early in the morning as we want to wake up and take a shower or hit the gym and then stay up as late as we want under artificial light or staring at a screen that also is fueled by artificial light. And the problem here is that Artificial light never looks like sunlight or campfire. It never does. It's it, They isolate little uh, what we call colors or wavelengths of light to make for, let's say, a bright room. Or even you can get one of the ones that feels like a warm tone LED. Regardless, they are not the natural blend that we would get from sunlight or from campfire. And we were designed to key into the changing wavelengths of sunlight from dawn till the sun reaches the high point in the sky at solar noon, all the way back till dusk. And so when we're stuck in an artificial light environment, under artificial light, those frequencies never change and they are very unnatural. 
And that is a confusing, chaotic signal to the body. If, I've got, if I have these light sensors built in all over my body, which I do, I've got receptors for light, that, specifically the different colors of light all over my body. And I'm only giving it a very confusing, chaotic signature. It's it's going to, uh, you, if we can look at it that way, it's, it's understandable how all of a sudden that could drive a chaotic process in my cells, in my cells which we could also call inflammation or cellular dysfunction. And so the cool part about this though is, okay, like what would I do to get back to nature? Like, what would I do? Well, I would keep the house, I keep artificial lights off as much as I can until sunrise, or I protect my eyes using different blue to uh, blue, blue blocking technologies for my eyes, different lenses. And then there's some key times throughout the day I've seen, I found clinically that people need to sync up their signals. Sunrise, for example, sunrise really gets the circadian rhythm, the timing, the clock in the brain, it gets that revved up. So that's where you're going to see the appropriate surge of cortisol, which creates energy and it supports mitochondrial health. It supports um, hormone balance in the body. So we get this natural surge of cortisol. Um, then later on, when the sun gets a little bit higher, what, that's when when the sun, we call it 10 degrees above the horizon. So it's up a little bit higher. That's when ultraviolet light first appears. And it first appears as ultraviolet A light. And that UVA light, its appearance is another trigger that signals a bunch of other things, specifically really supporting some neurochemistry in the brain. So serotonin production, dopamine production. It also supports thyroid hormone health. It supports um, metabolic features, but because there's a molecule in the brain that really needs that UVA light to be able to um, optimize different pathways from, from metabolism to even pain and inflammation, libido. And so it's like, wait a second, we, we have these sensors. And when we give those sensors the frequencies they're looking for at the correct time, everything falls into place. Um, and so I hope people are recognizing this isn't about living in, uh, you know, if you want to listen, if you want to live in a 10th rest of your life, I'm not, that's great. Go ahead. Right. But you don't, we don't have to move so far away from modern life. We just have to acknowledge that we've not been giving our bodies the right cues for a long period of time, likely. And that's why we start to see things like neurotransmitter imbalances, hormone imbalances, um, that ultimately can, can drive disease. And when we all, when we get to the other side of the day too and block the artificial light at night and create a dark night environment, we're gonna get to better at a, we're gonna get to sleep at an appropriate time. We're gonna run rejuvenation pathways that require darkness and elevated melatonin while we're sleeping. And so it's cool, you know, it's it's nice to be able to say, wait a second, I can use the light as a healing tool as opposed to under, just not really even being aware that the artificial light might be harmful or I might not be getting enough light outside to be supportive. Yeah, it's so interesting because you know I've been kind of working on this circadian thing for a number of years, but I was also kind of pretending that I really didn't need to get up for sunrise. <laughs> like that's, I do all the rest of it, but like sunrise, you know, close enough. And when I started doing it, it, it was because I also couldn't fall asleep early enough. That was, I thought there's no way, or I won't be able to go to sleep, you know, here I'm in Northern Montana. It's light right now until, right. you know, almost 11 PM. And I was like, well, it just, I won't be able to go to sleep until it's dark. I just won't be able to. And within like two days, not only was it not a problem, you know, or I would go outside at sunset and think, I can't go to bed in 20 minutes. And within 20 minutes of being outside at sunset, my body was like, 
that's it. You're done. Time to okay. <laughs> so totally. it, was, it just changed, you know, even with all the other kind of light cues that I was getting, like really bookending that sunrise and, and sunset. Like, yeah, it, it really does make a big shift and a big change And your body. You're right. Your body just knows what to do. It's just like time for bed and time to wake up in the morning. It's like not a big deal. I just wake up at <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's exactly, I know. That's exactly it, right? It's like you're, you get a, you get to bed at the at a circadian appropriate time based on the time of year and your location. And then if you're, if, if not, I, I'm assuming you also recognize like we need like screens at night can impact, impair this having a, having light on, like lights on in the room or night lights, like some people putting their kids' rooms on can be, can impair it. If we just can sleep in as dark of a room as possible and let our house dim, we're going to fall asleep and we're going to get all the repair we need. So we don't need the, the nine hours in bed or the nine and a half hours in bed anymore. The body is like, okay, rejuvenated. Here we go. And it, it, just, it just works. And I, I mean, it sounds too good to be true unless you actually try it, but I've heard it time and time again, how people are like, oh, how, how did I not know about this? Or how, how why wasn't I doing this? Right. Yeah. How easy was that? That was easy. Easy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That wasn't even hard. <laughs> Well, you know, really along kind of what you're already saying, uh, I have heard you say that sunlight is our biggest nutrient deficiency. And so what, thinking about sunlight as a nutrient, you know, what what do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a great one. The, um, the sunlight as a nutrient, I think I, people can liken it to the fact that maybe they've heard to eat the rainbow, right? Like eat fruits and vegetables of all different colors because all the different colors have a diverse array of nutrients in them. So if you eat a diverse range of array of colors, you know, that's one of the things that people equate it to. And I like people then to say, well, wait a second. If you, if you recognize that nature has painted different colors as different nutrients and in, in different um, produce, then you have to recognize that when we see light, sunlight through a prism, guess what? It's also broken up into the different colors of the rainbow. And now we're just at the tip of the iceberg for recognizing, oh, here's what ultraviolet does. Here's what blue does. Here's what red does. Here's what infrared does. And we can break that up. Here's what near infrared does. Here's what mid infrared does. Here's what far infrared does. And the, the, because the sunlight is always changing in its, in its kind of blend of colors and intensity throughout the day, it means that we really need to sample the sunlight at different set periods throughout the day to keep, continue to get those, those nutrients, those light nutrients and the different colors that change to support all the processes that the body is looking for. It's looking to cue in on that. And we just have to give it that nutrition, solar nutrition, I call it throughout the day. Yeah. And that's even if um, we don't see the sun a lot here through a yep. lot of times a year, but it really is bright enough outside and you still are getting those even on a cloudy day, right? hundred percent. Yeah. You know, uh, I live in the West side of Michigan and you could pretty much guarantee from October through March, it's like gray, 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 gray. And so, um, yeah, you absolutely are right. Even on a cloudy day, a rainy day, a snowy day, a foggy day, all of those colors are still there, right? All of the blood. So if I have this, this fancy little meter called the spectrometer that I can take outside, it, it'll show the same exact thing, right? There, there might be a slight difference in the brightness, if you will, but the colors are there and it's the colors that we have sensors for and we're keying in on. And so we have to recognize that it doesn't have to be, we don't have to live in San Diego where it's sunny year round to, to allow this to, to, to benefit our bodies. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of listeners here are, you know, work with crystals, are very uh, <laughs> tuned into crystal technology, what crystals do, how they work. 
But I don't know that we talk enough or think enough about kind of the liquid crystal that our bodies are and the crystalline technology, if you want to call it that, that our bodies are. And I and I just wonder if you could share a little bit about how that works and what is what is happening in our body with this crystalline structure. So cool, right? So the water inside of our bodies actually takes on a different phase than liquid water in a glass. And so this is the work of Dr. Gerald Pollack, um, who showed that, wait a second, you know, we've assumed that when we say we're 70% water or uh, by volume, or actually we're 99 out of every 100 molecules in the body is water. So we've got a ton of water inside of us. The assumption was, oh, it's just kind of there. It's like this inert solvent liquid style water um, doesn't really do much for us. But what Dr. Pollack found out was that when water is inside of our bodies next to any biological surface or what we would call hydrophilic or water loving surface, which every surface in the body, like almost, almost let's say 99% of the surfaces in the body are water loving the water actually rearranges its its H's and O's into hexagons. And so now all of a sudden we see a biological surface and then we've got these hexagonal sheets of water where the O's are at the vertices and the H's are in between. So almost picture like a honeycomb. And so, and so when water does that, water doesn't typically do that. The H2O molecule in a liquid, it kind of is like, it's random, we call it. So this H2O will kind of pair up with this H2O, these ones over here, and then it'll bounce to these ones over here, and then it'll bounce to these ones over here. And so it's more of kind of a scattered or random arrangement when it's a liquid, but when it's inside of the body and it creates these these hexagonal sheets and this order, the only other substances that create order like that are crystals, right? If I were to look at crystals and the arrangement of the atoms in a crystal under like a a molecular microscope, you would see the same thing, a very ordered arrangement. But because the body, because it still takes on a quasi-liquid form, it's almost like a gel-like state inside of our bodies, it's termed a liquid crystal. So those those, those, uh, H's and O's still have a little wiggle room, a little movement. But the ordered arrangement is a very unique property to the water inside of us. And it's actually inside of all living things. So you'll find this in plants and animals as well. And so this goes then to the fact that, okay, so if we are full of this liquid crystalline water, what the heck does that do for us? A heck of a lot. And the first one I want to highlight, I think think your um, listeners would really appreciate the fact that in physics, liquid crystals are known to be antenna for frequency information. And so we started this conversation by saying, wait a second, we are surrounded and permeated by frequency information and we have to, ha- we have to have a way to interact with it. it. You know, I can't smell it. I can't taste it. I can't touch it. I can't see it. It turns out that the water inside of us, this liquid crystalline water inside of us is the, is our antenna for the Akashic record for the quantum field information, the zero point energy, the ether. And so that then the body is using this this etheric information and energy to adapt in real time. So it's it's like, okay, where is Carrie right now? Carrie's Carrie's in the forest. She's surrounded by a waterfall. Okay, this doesn't seem like a threatening place for her. Let's make sure we run these programs and we optimize this. You know, so very much we're responding to what we're sensing through this etheric energy and information around us as quantum field information. And so that's one thing it does. 
But the cool thing about liquid crystals is not only are they antenna for this information, but they have the ability then to transduce it. So let's say it comes in as a certain wave, it can convert it into something else that's more biologically useful. Um, mind blowing to think about, right? And, and how it can also then drive uh, this liquid crystal uh, can, can drive electricity through the body, electron flow through the body. That's one thing we know that it also does. Uh, it can move photonic energy throughout the body. Um, it, it, it can trap sound as well and convert those sound frequencies into information. So holy cow. I mean, that's why I think people who understand how things like sound healing can work, crystals can work, um, uh, Tibetan bowls can work, you know, or just positive self-talk can work, right? Because that's another one, or thoughts, even if you have to say it, just thought alone can be healing. And it's because it's it's how we can interact with that, with the water network of our body. And then our body recognizes the information buried in there and adapts for us. Like making all the neurons in my brain fire. <laughs> <laughs> And it's so fascinating because you realize we've done such a good job as humans deciding that we're somehow separate from nature. And it's even for those of us who say, no, 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 we are a part of nature. When you hear these things and you understand how it works, it really, it's like, we are sunlight. We are water. We are soil. We are, <laughs> we are a plant, right? Where we are fungi. We are all of these things, just like all of those things are all of the earth as well. And it just really, to me, kind of like reorders uh, humanity and into its proper space. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I'm so happy you said that because we truly are all connected. That's not just like a nice thing to say, right? We truly are all connected, which means that when the type of information or energy or emotions that I think, or I put out into the world that has the potential to influence every other thing on this planet, right? That from living to even non-living actually, which is kind of weird. That's a whole different topic. Um, but the, I mean, it, I don't know if you're familiar. There was a, there, there have been studies done on meditation where like a thousand people meditating can lower violent, like the levels of violence by 70% or more, right? Like, so picture the power of a thousand meditators. Think about the rest of us. If we can acknowledge on a daily basis that we can, if we can all contribute and we can either contribute in a way that supports loving and healing and compassion, or we can unfortunately flip it the other way as well. And so that's why I think it's so, it's so cool. Yeah, I do matter. My thoughts matter, not only to myself, but to the, to the world and actually the universe at large. Yeah. And that makes me think I did an interview last year with uh, Peter Shampoo. We were talking about uh, this idea of the meditation and he was saying as powerful as that is, that it has to keep happening, right? Like, so you have to have this group of people meditating day after day or week after week, however, you know, whatever period of time. And if it stops, it stops. And so we were kind of talking about like, so what else do you do, right? What, what are your other options? And apparently there's been this other study done or this other experiment done where the love and the energy was sent to um, any kind of central water uh, feature in a community, in a town. And that then the water is able to carry this frequency and move it and keep it going. And it's just so cool to think about, like, of course, everybody interacts with the water. And of course, our bodies are interacting with the water and are picking up these cues as well. And it's just, it really is very cool to think about how simple 
some of these things really are to do and that we don't have to make uh, make this more complex than it has to be. You know, send send love to the water, send love to yourself, yeah. send love to each other. You're exactly right. And the really cool part about this is that I, uh, oftentimes I, yeah, that's, I would love that study. Actually. I don't know if I've heard that one in particular, but it makes perfect sense to me with the water and how responsive the water is. But that being said, what I found to be supremely um, interesting in a lot of my clients healing journeys is they, when they send healing to other people, it's actually more healing on themselves, right? You know, wow, yes, yeah, yes. And I, I have seen research on that as well. There's something about sending the energy outward and just allowing expansion that also benefits our bodies as well. So yeah, it's, it seems, I mean, yeah, to the majority of people, it's gonna be like, that's woo and stupid. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's powerful. And it's healing on so many levels. Yeah. And anyone who does healing work knows that you can't, right? Like the healing energy has to come through you to go out, right? Yes. And so yes. you can't, yeah, you can't help but receive that energy. And and so of course, if you're sending it, you're experiencing it for yourself at the same time. And so- Absolutely, absolutely. So cool. And, you know, along those thoughts, I it is really interesting because I do think this idea of love or sending love, right, can either be dismissed or, um, you know, not that we haven't all felt you know, the power and the energy of, of love, but that there's a lot happening now where this can be measured in different ways. And can you share a little bit about what it is that happens, you know, really when we're tapping in and using our heart and sending love and working with the energy of love? Yeah, sure. Well, I think you know, a lot of people think that the brain runs the show, but we have very sensitive detectors of magnetic fields that are generated by the body. And it just so happens that it's the heart that generates the magnetic field, the strongest magnetic field outside of our, our physical bodies. And so uh, it, it's been measured up to 22 feet away from our bodies. So um, what, what does that mean? Like, why is that important? Well, Again, this goes back to the water too. Water acts as what's called a dipole, which means that there's one portion of it that's a little more negative, uh, like that's the oxygen, and another portion that's a little more positive, that's the hydrogens. And anything that's a dipole is responsive to magnetic fields. And so what that means is that my emotions, right? My um, if, if I have this heart and this heart has this feeling of emotions, and we now know that we can actually expand that, that, that emotion outward with feelings of things like love and compassion and gratitude, or we can contract. It's like this toroidal field, or we can contract it back into us with feelings of things like anger, hatred, negativity. And so what this is saying is that, that we can actually influence not only ourselves, but we can influence people outside of us as well based on our emotions because of the magnetic field that's associated with them. And the water, of course, our water is responsive, but so is the water of people within our vicinity. And I have a feeling that we're only limited by the sensitivity of our detectors. And that ultimately that these emotions that are generated by the heart and are put outward have the ability to touch anyone anywhere instantaneously. Um, but yeah, it's it's just cool to think that, wait a second, let's let's be more in our heart, less in our head. Because what I have with clients a lot these days is they're chasing 
and I want to be, this is a respectful thing. They're chasing the latest protocol or the latest kind of like guru to, to help like, wait, you know, I need to know more. I need to learn more about what's wrong with me. I need to need to know what this person has to say about my condition. I need to know what that person has to say. It's like knowledge, 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 knowledge. And at some point I tell them we have to surrender and feel, and we have to sit and feel and recognize that our feelings have the ability to influence that water on such a profound way. We know that feelings can influence our DNA. We know that feelings can influence our mitochondrial function. We know, I mean, our nervous system, our, our sleep uh, rhythms, our, our cortisol levels, there's so many things. And so if we can actually go into there and start to recognize that that's an important area of the body to become aware of and how powerful it is, it just, I, I think a lot of people just need to hear that just to be reminded of, oh yeah, of course, when I feel something, when I feel joy, I feel great. Right. And so it's like, let's just go back into that. Yeah. It's interesting too. You know, I, I like to have the, you know, really imagine that field and, and I never think about how big it is. 22 feet. It's really large actually, but I, you know, I think about it when I go say to the grocery store, right. Of like, I'm just here being me, <laughs> but I try to like get myself in the best, you know, feeling place that I can. I'm like, how many people in my community will be touched, right, by whatever this energy is? And I'm just, you know, grocery shopping or, you know, when we're talking about doing healing work with the land, it's like so many times we do the same thing, right? We get in our head, like, went and I thought I was going to get this big download and all this information about what I was doing there because I was called there to this specific place and I just sat there and nothing happened it's like lots of things happened but we don't always get to know them in our brain right and so this is like the perfect example of just like sitting in a you know in the park in your neighborhood feeling that love and feeling that joy really is impacting a much wider field than we realize it absolutely is. And you're right. I think also that that story of the grocery store is so cool. And so, I mean, it's so awesome. It's one of, And it's one of those reasons why we can walk into a room and be like, we, we either can feel like, oh yeah, we're really going to resonate with, you know, the vibe or it's, wait a second, we're going to put up a bit of this, something's not right here. It has everything to do with the fact that our emotions and our energy, it's out here, but we, that water antenna is also pulling it in to receive it. So yeah, that's a really cool thing. I've never thought about talking to clients about that, but at, even just doing your everyday tasks can be really a good way just to support the overall love that one that's felt in a community or in a space. And then also, as you said, that reflects back to us and it's profoundly healing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, somewhat related to that, you know, I've it, done a little bit of experimenting and, and reading with scalar waves, but that really I'm realizing is like comes back to this heart energy as well. I and mean, what, what is your sense of scalar waves and kind of what's happening with our heart center? Yeah. You know, I find scalar waves to be the best described as almost like just a finer wave than things like the electromagnetic energy or frequencies that, that we would think of when we think of things like light or even you can think of uh, outside of the visible spectrum. So what, what would be an electromagnetic frequency as well? We've got the ones that are that are um, human, human created in the form of things like radio frequencies or microwaves or cell phones. All of those are waves that go up and down and also have a side to side component. So like they kind of vary like this. But when you actually go a little bit finer than that, you recognize that there's longitudinal waves that just kind of, they, they almost picture like a, a spring, right? It's, they, kind of, they kind of go this way. 
and they, but they don't oscillate at all. And so that's what us, that's what scalar waves are. So they're these longitudinal waves that you can kind of just send out, right? Um, and it turns out there's this really cool researcher. Actually, I believe he was a physician first, but his name is Dr. Francisco Torrent Gloss. And he began wanting to understand the heart uh, in, in his patients and kind of like the true anatomy of the heart. Because whenever he was taught to cut, dissect the heart, he was taught to kind of like cut, make a, make a slice through this cross section here. And let's make a slice here so we can visualize what's happening in this ventricle. And what he recognized is that when he kind of cut around the fascia and the, the nice, the uh, connective tissue around the heart, he was able just to unroll the heart. It was this, it created its own coil. Um, and we now know that coil technologies from what we would, what we could, could term a Mobius coil or even Tesla coils, they generate scalar energy, scalar frequencies. So I believe the mechanism like we're talking about behind how right now I could be sitting here and I could feel this emotion in my heart and send it out. We It's through the actual anatomy of the heart that allows us to generate the scalar waves in, in the first place that allow, then, then they basically can just propagate instantaneously anywhere where we need them to be. And so it's kind of hard to wrap the brain around that, but it's cool to fact that the actual anatomy we have is its own scalar wave antenna in the heart. And then this goes, this on, there's this concept called resonance where things that are shaped. So this Mobius coil, you almost want to picture it as like a kind of a looped over looped infinity sign, but it has a helical kind of like a spin, a folding spin to it, a helical twist to it. And so the thing about resonance in, in nature or in the body is that things with like shapes right resonate together. And so the best example of that is you could have a tuning fork with this shape and then a tuning fork with this shape. And if they're the same, I strike this tuning fork and then this tuning fork will start to feel that vibration and pick it up. But if all of a sudden I, I like change the shape of this tuning fork, let's say I take a little chip off of it, then they're not going to resonate. I'll strike this tuning fork and this tuning fork is not going to feel those vibrations. And so I think one of the ways that the body sorts out the energy and the information is it creates different shapes for things. And so what else has a helical shape in the body? Well, the DNA has a helical shape in the body. There's little proteins around mitochondria that have helical shapes in the body. The connective tissue of our body that connects everything from the, the bigger scale to like the fascia all the way into the cell, the finer mesh that goes inside of the cell, that is helical in nature. So it's very easy to understand then how if I have a heart that's that that's this helical Mobius coil generating information and in scalar format, that there are certain parts of my body that are also designed to tune in to that information and respond accordingly. So that's kind of why I also alluded to earlier in the talk that when we feel certain emotions, we can then get an instantaneous change in gene expression, instantaneous change in mitochondrial function. You, you get a connection to the fascial network as well, where I don't know if anyone's ever felt their fascia constrict or kind of loosen up in response to feelings or emotions, but it's all connected to that. And just so cool to think that our heart has that coil in and of itself. It's our own scalar antenna, basically, and, and generator as well. I just, I love when I get confirmation on things that this just like blows my mind how these, you know, things that come in energetically. And then years later, I hear the explanation and go, 
Well, that makes perfect sense. But I had a a, a place in nature um, a number of years ago that was they they spirits there were showing me to use my heart and to tone. And so basically, you know, send a sound frequency from my heart into the ground, and they were showing it to me in this Mobius infinity symbol, right? And they didn't give me any explanation. I don't know why I was doing it, right? I like felt really good. But hearing you explain that, I was like, this makes perfect sense, right? Of using that magnetic heart field to move a sound frequency into the earth would be incredibly healing to the earth. And then whatever is then coming back out of the earth into my heart center and I'm receiving whatever that uh, energy is coming out of the earth like how simple but how like amazing so thank you for explaining that no I love it and I'm I love hearing stories like that or like I'll read comments below the post and it'll it will be people who have just that type of an experience right not none of the science but like oh my gosh this totally gives me a picture in my brain what I've been feeling in my energy work practice, or like you said, spirit guides or however the information has been given to them. But it's really cool to be like, for me to be like, okay, this isn't just me, like, <laughs> you know, like connecting really weird dots and and no one else, right? It's it's, it's like, it's kind of mutually validating to be like, okay, yes, yeah, I totally get it. I get it from this perspective. You get it from that perspective. And we're saying the same thing. We're saying <laughs> the exact same thing. It's like, it, that. that's what the coolest thing is. And I think it's, the cool thing about where we're going, right, is that the more the more research is done, the more it confirms what a lot of us have been feeling or experiencing, uh, you know, on an energetic level for years. And then we can all realize like we're yes, we're all here doing the same thing and discovering the same thing. And I think, you know, I, I know we have to wrap up, but I think a good place to to really leave this is in this kind of scientific inquiry and and path that you've been on you know what is your understanding as as you go deeper in on you know this source energy or what some people might call god like what mm-hmm. um what do you find as as you go deeper on some of this uh energy type research mm-hmm. So funny. One of my favorite quotes from a quantum physicist is that your first sip of science makes you an atheist, but the last drop, you can't but deny the existence of this beautiful creator intelligence in the universe, right? Like you have to circle it back to God or source energy, like you said. Um, And so, yeah, yeah, I I, I feel like um, like it's been really easy to separate science and energy work or God or healing at that profound source energy level. And now everything is just coming to this point of, oh my gosh, we've denied and overlooked or wanted to separate, but there is no separation. And so really what I feel like my path is leading me to is I'm talking about people going into nature or going into light, sunrise, right? Or sunset, these beautiful times outside. I feel like it's helping connect people on an energetic level deeper and closer to God or source energy. Um, and because it's almost like you, once you're in it, you can't help but feel the fact that there is something so profound about these moments. Um, and so I just feel like it's connecting people back to that. It's like, it, 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 
we're all one and there is this beautiful infinite intelligence and, and love and light in this universe. I call it God. I don't like, I don't like to get bogged down in the nitty gritty about what we call it, but the fact that it's there and there's ways that we can kind of tap into it and feel the presence and how healing and profound it is. is it's just a beautiful thing for me. I love that. I love that. Well, I know we barely scratched the surface of a lot of these. We can no, I know. go down any one of these rabbit holes for hours, I'm sure. Hours. <laughs> um, let people know where they can find you and connect with you and learn more from you. Thanks, Amy. Yeah, absolutely. So my a huge hub where I just post this stuff, stuff like this. If you like to kind of hear these things, um, Instagram is my home. It's You can find me at Carrie B Wellness. Uh, I post, I try to post every single day, if not at least a, a four times a week about topics like the related to this from the scalar waves and love to water as an antenna to the light frequencies. And then you can also connect with me on my website, carriebwellness.com. There you'll see uh, different courses I've taught. You'll see if you want to become a part of my private community, we do weekly live Q and A's or um, just, you know, you, it's another hub, just see what's kind of happening if you want to interact in any way. So I encourage everyone to, to reach out and, and, and yeah, I don't know. I think the more people that start to hear this information, especially energy healers, um, I love it because it, it it really is. It's it's almost validating, but it's so cool to hear because uh, I got a bunch of science people in my community, but it's all I, we're also starting to get a bunch of the energy healers as well. And it's so cool to have this conversation just like we had because people are like, oh my gosh, right? Like I'm coming out from this perspective. You're coming out from that perspective. So even if you're not into the science, but you just kind of want to hear about it from that perspective as well, join us, uh, hang out with us. We we're at all are welcome. I love it. Yes. And we all, we all somehow end up in the same place, which is what's so magical about it. So exactly. thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge and we'll keep in touch. Thank you, Amy. I wish we had more time, but this was so such a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Sending my deepest gratitude to Carrie for this mind-bending discussion. And I hope it's inspired you to interact with the natural world in a brand new way. If you enjoyed this episode and think these ideas are worth spreading, I hope you'll share it with others. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And thanks for being here on the earth at this moment in time. I'll see you back here next week. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earth Keepers from around the world in the Following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook. To find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.